You're listening to ClearCast, the real estate fintech podcast by Clear Capital. Each month, your co-hosts, Jeff Allen and Keenan Chen, will bring you compelling stories and revolutionary ideas from the people, companies, and institutions at the intersection of real estate, finance, and technology. Want to be a guest on the show or have an idea for an episode? Email marketing at clearcapital.com and let us know. And now, here's the show. Hello, and welcome back to ClearCast, the real estate fintech podcast. This is episode nine, and we have returned to bad audio. Uh, I know. We had a nice respite last, last episode. We were in person together. Um, and sadly, we are apart again. Uh, I'm Jeff Allen. I'm joined, as always, by Keenan Chen. Keenan, how are you? Good. I, I think we got in enough in-person time to really last us for at least a year, right? I mean, yeah, seeing you for a couple of days, honestly, could keep me could keep me going for a while. <laughs> <laughs> so, how are you doing, Keenan? How is your uh, descent back into the winter of COVID going in the Bay? Uh, going just swimmingly, Jeff. Thanks for asking. Uh, I now can no longer eat indoors. Um, and, um, and I believe that there is a run on toilet paper again, and uh, all the, the shelves are, are empty. So we're, we're doing great over here in California. That's awesome. We're also doing great in Minnesota. Uh, record number of cases increased uh, eightfold in the last two weeks. Oh. Um, uh, kids are full distance learning. Uh, we also are not eating indoors in restaurants, and the weather is now getting very cold. So it's going great for me, too. Excellent. Excellent. Did you buy some stock in uh, kerosene heaters? Yes. <laughs> Big time. <laughs> <laughs> but it just gives us that much more time to focus on the mortgage and real estate markets. Uh, so, you know, all that distraction of restaurants and and in-person social interaction was really just uh, keeping us away from our true passion, uh, which is talking together about the real estate market. Um, and uh, before we dig into a story, uh, let's talk a little bit about what we've got coming up on this episode. This is gonna be a fun one. Uh, we've got Molly Dowdy and Jerry Yoshida, the co-founders of Next Mortgage, uh, joining us. Uh, we've already recorded that interview and spoiler alert, it was very fun. Um, Super, super fun interview. Hope hope everybody sticks around and listens to that. Then we're going to dig into some stories from the market, uh, do a tale, uh, real estate joke of the pod. Sorry, Keenan. And then uh, Tales from the Street with our good friend, Dan McAllister. Uh, so that's what we've got coming up. But let's dig into a story. Keenan uh, sourced this story, uh, this episode. Um, and it's an Inman.com article. Uh, there's a company called MoxieWorks. And uh, in this article, MoxieWorks <clears throat> predicts that home sales are going to actually grow through the remainder of the year, um, reaching 490,000 in November and almost 520,000 in December. And they make these predictions um, based upon companies use uh, people using their home sales uh, platform. So they can basically see real estate agents utilizing their platform, and that lets them make predictions for the future for home sales. And um, based upon that, they're projecting an increase in home sales in towards the end of the year and into the first part of next year, which is pretty rare. 
for the winter months. Um, so Keenan, what, is, what does this all mean to you? Yeah, it's pretty cool. Well, they, uh, they've had some success in being accurate, I think, for their prediction in September, they were only 1% off from their forecast, which is, you know, who gets forecast right? Like that's that's pretty incredible. Um, but I think it it does it does show that the um, the market's pretty resilient right now. There's a ton of demand. Um, you know, from our own data, we we saw that sales are up, you know, 28% year over year. Um, even though the inventory of active listings is down uh, 37% nationally. So um, that's why home prices seem to be staying, you know, um, you know pretty resilient as, as well as just simple supply and demand. Um, but also, you know, the, the increased um, timeline, I think of remote work, um, you know, us as a company, we're, we're not going back to the office you know, uh, until, you know, mid next year or so, you know, um, and uh, a lot of other companies have, have done the same. So um, a lot of people looking for larger houses and, and, uh, or moving maybe urban to suburban. Um, so I think the MBA also just came out and said, it's going to be a record year for purchases uh, next year. So um, everyone seems to be agreeing. Yeah. Yeah, spot on. And there's a lot of sectors of our economy that are not very resilient right now, unfortunately. Uh, but home purchases seems to be pretty strong. Uh, and actually, um, it's pretty fitting that we're talking about this story um, because we will be in just a, a little bit here bringing on Dan McAllister, um, actually a colleague of ours, to talk about his experience uh, being a buyer and a seller in what is a crazy supply constrained market. Uh, so before we get into that, it is time, Keenan, for the joke of the pod. Are you ready? Is it? Is that time already here? It is or? here. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. This, again, is an original joke. Um, I have made that pledge. I will continue sticking to that pledge. Uh, I hope you like this one, Keenan. I have a feeling you're going to really enjoy it. So there's this suburban residential street. Are you with me so far? You say rural? Suburban. Oh, okay, thank you, yes. Mm -hmm. It's similar to many that you've probably seen in your lifetime, pretty standard. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, the streets are tree-lined, the road is gently curving this way and that before landing in the warm embrace of a cul-de-sac. Lawns are green neatly manicured. Children are playing in the soft fading light of dusk, riding their bikes in carefree delight while their parents watch lovingly from their front porch patio swings. Mm. Every house has a picket fence and a clean two-car garage. Sounds pretty nice, doesn't it, Keenan? It, it, it does. Is there two and a half kids or just two? A two and a half. <laughs> Somehow, physically, biologically, they've pulled that. <laughs> Um, it's so pretty typical, right? Could be any street in America if you think about it, but there is one thing that's a little off about this block. Some of the houses are actually permanently floating about 20 feet up in the air, being carried by hundreds of inflated helium balloons. It's kind of weird. Uh, it's sort of like that Pixar movie, Up. Do you remember that? I do, yeah, yeah. Uh, the old man gets his house carried by balloons. So it's, it's just like that movie. It's just some of the houses and not the others. Isn't that weird? 
That, that is very weird, yes. So what's even weirder, get this, is anytime the balloons get a little low on helium, this helium refill truck shows up to refill them. And the guy driving the truck and refilling the balloons is just constantly chugging Red Bulls, <laughs> just bouncing off the walls with energy, just crazy hyper, right? And you can tell when he's around, he's just moving all fast and crazy and being loud. And he's like throwing his Red Bull cans into the cul-de-sac, just, just crazy energy while he's filling up these balloons. Right. Are you with me? Yeah. I like this guy. Okay. What's even weirder still is that all the floating houses end up selling for about three times more than the regular houses that don't have the balloons. Any ideas why the prices would be so much higher on the balloons? Oh, you got a cell phone. Oh. <laughs> Hang on a second. <laughs> I interrupt this joke <laughs> to take a call. <laughs> that was great timing. <laughs> you planned that to try and prevent finishing the joke. Oh, sorry. Carry on. No, I, I have no idea why. Okay. So just because the audience got confused there, just reiterate. The floating houses with the balloons filled up by the Red Bull guy selling for three times more. You don't know why. So here's the thing. It's really hard to say why. Nobody knows for sure. But a lot of people suspect it's hyperinflation. Yeah. Do you get it? I, I do. I, I get it. Thank you. That's, um... Explain it. <laughs> you could say that... <laughs> You could say that, uh, that the, the homes had wings. Yeah. Or just the guy drinking the Red Bulls. Right. He was hyper. Right. And he was inflating the balloons. And that made, and hyperinflation is a, is a term in economics that is refers to high prices. Ah, oh, okay. That's where it all comes together. Yeah. Thanks, Jeff. <laughs> so maybe not my best joke. Maybe not my best, but, um, it's hard coming up with original jokes. I'm not gonna lie. You know, the, the the story it, the story of getting to the to the punchline is is just as enjoyable, really. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. All right. Well, tales from the street, and we apologize again for that lead-in. Um, but uh, this is one of our favorite segments because this is where we get to talk to regular people about their recent experiences um, uh, with home purchases and going through the mortgage process. Um, in this case, I wouldn't quite say that our guest is just a regular guy from the street because he's our very own Dan McAllister, uh, director of valuation products here at Clear Capital. Um, but Dan lives in Truckee, California, which is where Care Capital started. And Truckee, as, uh, as maybe many of you have read in recent articles about Zoom towns, Truckee is like the, the quintessential <laughs> uh, definition of a Zoom town. It's, it's up near Lake Tahoe, uh, within a couple hours drive from the Bay Area, and people are flocking there like crazy. Um, to buy houses, and Dan just went through buying a house there in Truckee. So, um, Dan, thanks for joining us. Um, would love to hear uh, what was it like buying in Truckee. Um, you've lived there for a while, so 
was it really as crazy as as we've been hearing? Hey, yeah, thanks for having me on. And uh, absolutely, it was it was probably crazier than than what you read. You know, really, we started we started looking for you know a, a, an upgrade. You know, got a growing family and um, uh, started running low on space. And so, probably around the the uh, winter time, January, February, we started looking. You know, and and being. <laughs> in the weeds of the real estate market. I live and breathe valuation every day. My wife also works at Clear Capital. So, so we've got our finger on the pulse. We've got as many tools as anybody has to kind of understand what's going on in a market. And so we started to get a, get a sense of what we would have to pay for um, the space that we wanted and what we thought we would get out of our home. And then COVID hit and everything stopped, right? So basically, between March and May, the, the, the market just froze. Um, and there was maybe a little cu- couple properties sold here and there, but I think everybody, us included, was like, well, gosh, I'm not gonna make a huge financial decision right now. Uh, I see what the heck's gonna happen. Is the, is the bottom gonna fall out or is it gonna be over in, in two months and, or, or what have you? But what was really wild is that right around Memorial Day, California started to loosen up uh, stay-at-home orders, and it went bonkers immediately. Um, you went from really nothing transacting to a uh, a uh, reverse auction, a silent auction type of atmosphere. Um, you know, and, and we didn't, it, it took us a little while to kind of realize what was going on. Um, you know, we found a home in the price range that we thought was reasonable. We put in an offer with a loan contingency at list price and didn't get it. And we were like, oh man, that's a bummer. You know, and in hindsight, we saw two or three months later that it sold $100,000 above list price. And so, um, and so from there, you know, really what what June and July looked like is had my Redfin app, my Zillow app, all my notifications turned on. And on a weekly basis, you'd see a flurry of homes hit the market Thursday, Friday morning. And so, you know, immediately if we saw something, we'd be like, hit, hit up our, our real estate agent and, you know, get in there on the weekend and look at it. Offers due by Sunday pending by Monday. And it was just, you know, what's it going to go for? Who knows? Um, You saw some crazy stuff happening in certain neighborhoods, particularly the neighborhoods that were, um, that are popular for Bay Area folks. There's a neighborhood called called Tahoe Donner. It's several thousand homes. Typically, it's like 75% second homes. A home there was listed at 515 something like that and it sold for over $750,000. And it was like 1300 square feet or something like that. And so you saw this mania happening and it, and it really was it's bay area tech workers and anybody who could work remotely now were just like and, and you combine low interest rate environment um it was just like a flock um, and you saw it in the real estate market. You saw it in um, waiting lists for schools. Um, 
you know, all kinds of, all, uh, all kinds of craziness. Yeah. I read recently, there's um, this economist who kind of looks at this kind of underlining granular data to pull out trends and based upon just movement of people, there's an estimate that 10% of the population of San Francisco is now not there anymore um, from this, from the start. Um, and not all of them went to Truckee, but certainly it sounds like a good portion of them did. Uh, it, actually, Keenan may be the only one left in San Francisco. Um, <laughs> So um, tell us, you know, it, you guys obviously were, were trying to also sell a house in this environment. Um, and you were, if I remember correctly, you were holding off on even putting the thing on the market until you found something that you thought you wanted to buy. So you were kind of stuck in this like weird limbo. Uh, what, what was that like? Yeah, yeah. So we knew particularly in the in the price range that our uh, existing home was in, you know, more of an entry level price range, which is still fairly, fairly high in Truckee. Um, there's so little inventory that we just knew that everything, everything between $400,000 and a million dollars was going over the weekend, multiple offers above list. Right. And so, but we were not very confident in our ability to find a place to buy. Um, we're competing with cash offers in this, in this uh, silent auction environment. And so we kind of realized pretty early on that like we, we were not gonna be able to, to couple the sale of our house to have enough equity and money to you know, turn around and, 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 and buy another house. Basically, we, we were not gonna be able to have a contingency on the sale of our house and actually win a bid. So, so we had to, um, you know, what we'll, we'll get into a little bit more of how we handled it, but, but selling the house, it was, it was, it was the, it was too easy. I mean, we, when we did decide, when we finally put it up, um, we put it up on a, on a Friday, um, you know, our, our real estate agent did have like a professional photographer come did photos and just pushed it up to the MLS and that pushed it out to Redfin and Zillow and all those things. And, my wife and I were like, you know, uh, refreshing the listing. How many views does it have? Ooh, it's got, it's been up, honey, it's been up 30 minutes and it's got, it's got a hundred views and, and 30 favorites. <laughs> you know, this was, this is what we were doing, you know, because like <laughs> yeah, we, we were, and we were like, oh man, because we had put a bunch of uh, work into that house and uh, like a lot of places in, in Truckee and Tahoe was built in the seventies and you know, hodgepodge different updates. So, so it looked, it looked good in the, in the pictures. Right. And our real estate agent was basically like, you guys just got to leave town for the weekend. So we went to, um, my, uh, my wife's folks, um, not too far away, stayed there for the weekend. And it was basically just an open house through the weekend. And we estimated about 30 folks came through over the course of the weekend. And by Tuesday, we had eight offers and all were above list price. Wow. Uh, so you didn't have to do any extra marketing. There was no consideration of like, well, do we need to get um, uh, listing brochures? Do we need to get uh, a, a virtual tour? Uh, it, you literally just put it on the MLS and bam, there you go, eight offers. That's that's all you really needed over the summer and pretty much right now. Um, you know, we, there was a lot of cases too of listing agents coming through on like FaceTime calls with remote buyers. 
uh, I think that was a good portion of what of who came through and, and who we actually ended up selling to was was kind of in that scenario. So you got a ton of buyers just buying sight unseen based on you know what the listing agent is showing them and telling them about the neighborhood. Well, wow. all right. So um, so you had to solve the contingency issues. So how did you compete against all these cash offers? Yeah. So you know, in the price range that we were trying to shoot for, we don't have that much cash. Um, but we basically had to say, we have to be able to make a cash, uh, a quote unquote cash offer, make it look like a cash offer uh, and figure out how to refi out of it. And so, you know, we started to explore, you know, private money type of, types of options. And you know, and talking to people in this space and, and people who've gone through this, you know, it's it's a combination of what can family members loan you or, you know, friends or folks with money to lend and figuring out kind of, um, you know, contracts with, with, with a lawyer that's just kind of like this short-term bridge loan. We ultimately kind of made a bet in a certain way. We said, well, we think we're going to get a whole lot more for our house than we had originally anticipated. So when we find something, let's let's really try to win it. And so in the house that we bought, it was a, a really fortuitous situation for us in that the sellers of the house uh, were operating under a very, very short timeline. My understanding is that one of the owners is taking a new job and booking it up to Canada and getting out of the States. Uh, <laughs> and they were trying to close as fast as possible. And so this, this home that, that we ended up buying went on the market on a Friday. They were only showing it from one to 4 p.m. the next afternoon or one to 5 p.m., a four hour window. That was the only chance anybody had to go in. Offers due by Sunday. Um, and so it was this, we, we got lucky because we were ready. There's a house in the neighborhood that we already live in um, and it checked a lot of boxes for us. And so we, uh, we made an offer above list, uh, 20 day close cash. Um, and we were, I don't think we were the highest offer but they kind of came back out to the folks and were like, okay, here's the new floor, bid again. Wow. Uh, so. We kind of, we, we sweetened it a little bit more. And I don't think we were ultimately the highest one, but we were the fastest and the simplest and the most certain offer. Mm-hmm. So it worked out. Then we turned around, put our house on the market, got lucky that it sold for as much as it did. Yeah. And so now I'm in the process of doing a rate and term refi. So, um, and that'll get me back into a traditional, you know, 30 year conventional mortgage, but through this whole process, it's a lot, it was, it's been a lot of like calculated risk-taking, um, that it's all gonna work out because for us now, I mean, we're now, now I'm in this position of like, well, shoot, I hope it appraises, (laughs) I know, so, I, I know so much about this appraisal business and industry that I'm like, okay, well, you got this rapidly appreciating market and we paid over list price. And so I've been like scouting the, <coughs> the sales on the street and stuff and being like, oh, nice. That one's 
that one supports an even higher price than I paid on nice. Yeah. <laughs> so the the fact that you were able to sort of do a, a fake cash over cash offer, like a trick cash offer, it sounds like that was instrumental in in your offer being accepted um, in a lot of ways. So um, why do you think sellers are so drawn to the cash offer or the equivalent? Why, why is that so much more important than the higher price? Uh, financed option for people? Well, I think it's, I, I don't know that it's the same for all sellers, but you know, it's the speed, the ease and how cheap it is to close and the certainty of it. Um, you know, when you have, and, and I would say even with uh, what, in the sale of, of our first home, um, we were originally working with a cash deal that fell through and then our backup offer was with a loan. And we actually wrote, kind of wrote into it that, you know, there'd be no appraisal contingency, basically no, no loan contingency. And so even, even if you are trying to get a mortgage, like the sellers are in such a position that um, you can eliminate any risk of, of, of appraisal issues, evaluation issues. And um, yeah, it's just, uh, in our case, it, it was really about speed. You know, we were able to say, we can close in 20 days. And that held a lot of value to that seller. Certainty, easy. And I think in our case, we were a local buyer and you have some interesting dynamics here um, in town where folks would prefer to sell to their neighbors um, and, and not the, the Bay Area invaders. Um, yeah, Keenan. <laughs> <laughs> the market is such right now where the seller has so much power that you can eliminate any risk and, and basically dictate terms. Well, well, that is uh, an eye-opening story. Uh, and uh, but congratulations! Actually, happy that it worked out for you, and yeah. you got to have some more room for your family. Yeah, thanks. We we feel really lucky. You know, we were pretty. I think we were pretty bold in our strategy, um, and we really threaded the needle, honestly. And how fitting is it that the final thing that you are now worried about is an appraisal, which is the appraisal, <laughs> which is what I've made my living on in, in, for the last decade. <laughs> uh, how ironic. Is that, is that irony? Uh, I don't know. Somebody consult Alanis Morissette. On <laughs> cool. Well, thanks. Thanks, Dan. Appreciate you being a guest. It's awesome. Thanks so much. Yeah, it's fun. All right, we are really happy today to be joined by uh, Molly Dowdy and Jerry Yoshida, the two co-founders of Next, uh, which is uh, both a mortgage news site as well as a conference, uh, specifically a mortgage technology conference uh, designed for women. Uh, Molly has over 20 years of executive experience in marketing technology to mortgage lenders, uh, notably serving as the EVP of marketing for Mercury Network, uh, a leader in valuation technology. Uh, Jerry has over 15 years of mortgage industry experience, so five years less than Molly. We won't hold it against you. Um, five years less experienced, but I'm sure just as wise. Uh, most of her roles have been in public relations for mortgage lenders and uh, their business-to-business -business product and service providers. Uh, starting in January 2018, next, uh, mortgage events started, and it broke the mortgage industry's, mortgage industry's unspoken barriers that limit women's access to competitive intel 
and networking-based information exchange. So Molly and Jerry, thanks a ton for joining us today. Thank, Thank you for you. having us. Excellent. And Jerry is joining us from Paris, France, we were informed, which is obviously very glamorous and beautiful. <laughs> And Molly, you are joining us from the equally glamorous and beautiful Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. Well, yeah, I am joining you from there. I don't know about the equally glamorous <laughs> and beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> so um, obviously you guys are in two very different places, but you seem to have known each other for quite some time and come together to bring Next to life. Um, Next is uh, specifically, you know, doing both news site and the events. The events are providing a much needed platform uh, for women and women execs in the mortgage industry to network effectively. Can you tell us the story of kind of how that idea came into place and how you collaborated on it? Sure. So um, Molly, I'll, I'll start and then you can, you can tie up. So um, I, I think probably next came about by um, just us getting tired of what was. So Molly and I, as you know, have been in the industry a bit. Um, a bit of time. And we've gone to conferences an awful lot. And I think that, you know, more than anything, we were probably at a conference and it was probably me who was complaining about the things that I didn't like about it. So there's so many um, non-female friendly aspects of conferences in our industry. So whether it's, um, you know, if you're at a big conference, everything is, you know, I literally clocked myself one time, like, how long is it going to take me to get from the front of my hotel room to the, the front of the, uh, of the expo door? And it took me eight minutes booking it in heels. Now, if I was going to get on a treadmill in heels for eight minutes, like that's insanity. So just little things like that, you know, like that's not really taking into account the fact that like, you know, women wear different shoes than men do. And, um, you know, it's just that like the, the parties and that sort of thing are all really male driven. You know, there's, they always have sort of a, a male theme. There's always some over the hill sports guy, you know, signing stuff and, you know, and, 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 you know, a lot of times we've been to both Molly and I have been to these parties where, you know, maybe the entertainment is a little marginal. It's a little sort of like, that's making me feel a little uncomfortable. So, you know, and, and what we what we decided was, I mean, we took notice of that. And probably it was me complaining, going on around, oh, my God, and then this and then that, you know. And I think that we probably just started talking. So, Mal, you want to tell them about sort of what we decided to do about that? <laughs> yeah, you know, it was... It a lot of the um, technology decision makers in our industry are women. And when it comes down to, um, you know, choosing a technology versus, you know, outsourcing it or doing it in-house, a lot of those decisions are being made by women executives now. And we just felt like there wasn't a platform where they could be comfortable and shine and really network easily and openly and authentically. So, we started with just small parties. Um, you know, we do a small happy hour um, in a penthouse somewhere nice. And, and it, was, it went over so well. I mean, we had so much fun. And the women who showed up really formed actual, meaningful, long-term relationships. And that is the name of the game. When you're comfortable, you can network, truly be yourself, be present in the moment and really interact with other people, that's when real relationships are built. So 
we started with small parties and then we're on, I think our eight, I'm really bad at math. So Jerry, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think we just finished our eighth event. I believe it was our eighth. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. You know, they just keep getting bigger and bigger and online with COVID is, you know, we can talk about that all day if you want, but (laughs) it's becoming more important than ever to connect with other humans in our industry. And so being able to provide it online where people can watch it from their couch, watch it from their desk, leave it on, you know, while they're working and just listen or however it is that they want to see it, it really opens it up to a lot more people. So we've seen a, a huge amount of growth in the past Guys, I just want to reinforce something that Molly said when she was saying that, that, you know, these women came together and we wanted to create a space for them where there was an absence of all the the things I was complaining about. It's not just about my feet hurt in these shoes. It's not just about that. It's about being able to walk into a place and not have to worry about anything, not be distracted where all you need to do is talk about, be your best self, your best professional self and not have to worry that like, is somebody going to say something that makes me feel uncomfortable? Um, you know, am I, am I exhausted? Are my feet bleeding, you know, having gotten here? So, you know, it's, you know, and that's, that was, that was a big thing. Cause what we wanted to do is there's so much information that gets exchanged at when people gather. And so we wanted to be able to avail those opportunities to these amazing women who have essentially been the backbone of this industry for decades. So, you know, I mean, the prototype really of our typical um, executive is somebody who's been in the industry for decades, who probably didn't have her sights set on the C-suite, but just sort of ended up there because she was just so darn smart and, you know, forward thinking and visionary and just brilliant that she just kept moving forward and wasn't afraid to take chances. And, you know, so, you know, these are women who quietly got into the C-suite or quietly got those EVP positions and VP positions um, and weren't necessarily making a lot of noise saying, look how great I am. So, you know, we really want to be able to foster an environment where that personality type is going to be able to get the information that she needs. That's awesome. I, I, uh, one of my favorite quotes is, um, uh, diversity is not charity, it eliminates blind spots. And I love that what, what you're saying, Jerry, is that um, is that there's these blind spots, you know, I think that a lot of maybe event organizers or, you know, kind of the typical mortgage industry event have had because the, the people planning it aren't thinking about all of the different perspectives and all the different experiences that would allow people to thrive. And it sounds like that you two have been able to tap into that and allow people to just thrive, you know, and, and it's so true that networking is, um, is where it's at, right, for, for, for events. And there's so many deals and, and, and opportunities that are discussed in kind of these ad hoc conversations that if you're not a part of those, you're missing out, right, on, on what could open up opportunities for, for you and your career or for your company. So um, that's, that's awesome. So it sounds like, though, with creating that sort of platform, right, where you're giving women this opportunity to to interact in a whole different way, that that would open up all kinds of things beyond maybe even events, you know? Um, and are you thinking thinking kind of at what's next in terms of uh, next? 
What's next? Uh (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yeah, we are. I mean, you know, a lot of it too is just so you, I mean, it's not even just about um, being able to interact with each other and to meet each other and to exchange information. That's a big part of it. But we also want to be able to have a platform for these women. I mean, Molly, you want to talk, I mean, we have so much fun um, meeting these women and finding out about them. And, you know, you want to tell them a little bit about sort of like the diversity that we have. I mean, within our, like our speakers and stuff like that and the platform that we're able to get them. Yeah. You know, one of the things about conferences in the olden days was the speakers are all the same usual suspects, right? And they're all old white guys. I mean, let's be real. (laughs) All the same guys. And so they might all be the same guy, you know, they could, they could all be the same guy. There might be just like four of them. I don't know that we've ever seen more than four of them on stage at the same time. They might be the same guy. But there are all these women out there who are actually doing the job day in and day out and they're killing it. And they are better than everybody else because they had to be right to get where they are. Um, And so there are some really like Susie Lindblom. She is the COO over at Planet Home Lending, an absolute Phenom. I am telling you, she runs multiple departments like clockwork and has really been able to share some incredible intel with the community over the past couple of years. And women like Kim Hoffman, she's the COO at Envoy Mortgage. She is an expert in RPA and has been able to shorten the cycle time for so many women out there who are looking at those solutions by sharing intel in the next community. So we have really been lucky that, and you guys know this too, from your experience at Clear Capital and just in the industry in general, there are women out there, whenever you meet them in these positions, you're like, oh, yikes. I mean, a lot of times they're in a completely different universe from other people of those similar positions. They're just incredibly accomplished. And so it's really been cool to, shine a light on them and build a platform for them to share their expertise, give back to the community. And that's been a really rewarding part of it. You know, we've had, there are women's events and we're friends with all of the women's events and women's groups and stuff like that, because we think that like anything that you're doing for women, we're, we're in your corner. We love that. You know, but when we got into this space, um, you know, again, like Molly was saying that like, it's like these, these old middle-aged white guys in bad suits. Right. I mean, but aside from that, if you did see, um, if you did see groups of women, um, it would be the same usual suspects. And those women are fantastic and they've done great jobs, but there are so many more than that. So, you know, there, there are women in this industry who are not Caucasian, who are, who are in executive positions, who are doing amazing things. There are women in this industry who are not straight who are, who are doing amazing things, who aren't these like sort of prototypical, you know, I, I balance a career and a, and a family, which is amazing to do. Like there are some women who are just, and, and it's been so cool to be able to, to, you know, to be able to find these women and learn what they're doing. And it's funny because we don't really look at it as like, we have a diversity guideline, you know, it's just sort of like, we meet these incredible women and there's no reason for us not to choose them. We're not thinking you have to fit into this box. It's like, wow. Okay. Well, you're, you know, you're this way and you're that way and you're both amazing. And we'd like you to speak and we'd like you to speak because it's so much about 
accomplishments and knowledge and expertise and willingness to share that information. So it's, you know, we, we would really, in our ideal world, we would love to uh, have an industry that is showing, um, you know, represent what's represented. I mean, that's properly representing what exists in our industry. So that's in, in an ideal world, we, that's what we're going for. So fingers crossed, we'll get there. Oh, but anyway, so you were asking about new new ideas. Yeah, like so we've we've got a bunch of stuff up our sleeve. Yeah. I mean, you know, we have a news site and you know, Molly, you want to tell them about the other stuff we're doing? Yeah, we just we're only two weeks in. We have just launched um mortgage tech bits and we, it's a really focused. We have daily up next, which goes out to everybody and it's industry news and mortgage industry specific, of course. But on Tuesdays, we've launched the tech bits. And it's just a specialized, and you guys may be really interested in that. It's just a specialized roundup of industry news. So it's a good segment that's underserved, I think, for sure in our industry right now. And we're sending that out weekly, and we've gotten really good response to it. And we've got profiles and up next, like we, we profile these, um, you know, these executives, these um, female executives in our industry. And our profiles, I mean, I don't mean to brag, but we've got a we've got a veteran writer in our industry who is in our industry for like 40 years, who has won like awards for writing. And she's an amazing writer. She, her quality of her writing is like vanity fair. It's not like, you know, it's she's not just throwing out questions and having the people answer. Not that there's anything wrong with that. You know, I mean, I've done it. So, um, but, you know, she like really digs in and, and crafts these pieces that are awesome. So, and they're really fun to read. Like you really feel like, wow, you know, wow, I didn't know that Amy Cruz cuts, um, grew up riding horses and like she jumps horses and blah, blah, like stuff like it, you know, and, and really gets into it. And she's so crafty with her language. So it's, 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 it's just really fun to read. Cause there are little, there are nuances. It's like, oh, that's a funny, you know, like that's, that's a nice callback, you know? So it's, it's uh, it's they're really fun to read. So we've got those as well, which is another way that we like to uh, shine a spotlight on the on the women executives in our industry. And for, and for our our listeners, uh, the website is nextmortgagenews.com, uh, where you can find all of this content. Uh, There's far more than as we've been mentioning. It's far more than just an event. Um, it's kind of a whole media brand at this point. Um, and one of the most interesting things we noticed on nextmortgagenews.com, and I think it further underscores your point about building a community, is Next Pets. To the listeners, um, there's an entire page dedicated to uh, the pets of the Next community. So for example, Jamie Young of Quicken Loans has a photo of her cat, Baroness Von Munchausen. And your very own uh, boxer, I think, Scout, Jerry, highly recommend that page. Tell us a little bit about, you, you guys seem to take a little bit of an irreverent approach to some things. How do, how do you come up with these, these unique, unique angles? That's a good question, Molly. That was, I think that was your idea, Next Pets, wasn't it? You know, just in getting to talk to a lot of our executive, you know, friends and stuff in the Next community, a common thread is people are a little bit cuckoo, if I do say so, about their pets. <laughs> and there are a lot of spoiled pets in the mortgage industry. I just, if y'all don't already know that, breaking news. And so we started running um, every day in Up Next, we feature someone's pet or a shelter pet that's up for adoption. 
And then on that page that you're talking about on our website, we put all of the next community's pets and it's fun. They love being a star for the day. They forward it to their friends and family. <laughs> well, you know what's so funny is it's such a great way to get to know, like get to know these people. I mean, Molly, say what, why don't you explain what, like if you were a vendor, like. Well, it's not just a picture of the pet. Like whenever they send us the pet, they send us bio information on the pet. And then Jerry writes up an adorable profile on the pet. So if this person is your prospect, all of a sudden, you know, their pet's favorite toys, <laughs> their pet's favorite, dog, you know, food. It's a powerful source of information, really. And in all reality, it's a great way to connect with somebody. You know, um, people love to talk about their pets. They want to show you pictures and it's great fun to share that. And it's a great way to just build a relationship pretty quickly. So could you imagine if like, if somebody came up and, you know, was trying to sell me something under normal circumstances, I'd be like, oh, please, I'm busy. I don't have the time. But if somebody came up and said, oh my gosh, I saw a scout. My dog does this too. Like, okay, I'm in a conversation with that person for 45 minutes, whether or not I have the time to have that conversation. So when it's, when I look at these, it's like, we're just thinking, yeah, I mean, vendors, um, you know, tech providers, when you see a a lender in there, gosh, my gosh, take a look. And, and, and it's a great conversation starter. I mean, it's fun, but it's, it's also, you know, um, it also brings kind of the, the the human you know part of all of this back into it. it's not just about you know mortgage tech and what who who's IPOing you know today um, or next week but but also I think the human side of this and and that's you know Molly you mentioned earlier about about COVID and, and um, you know I want to hone in a couple couple areas for that one is you know we spent a lot of time talking about the human interaction of events hard to do during COVID and going to a digital world. So love to know what you, you know, what you are, are thinking around there, but, but also um, I, I think it's led to a lot of different types of conversation topics um, that maybe we weren't covering a year ago in, in the industry. Um, and, you know, with your, um, you know, particular community as well, love to hear kind of how has COVID changed the conversation and then how are you fostering that conversation in more of a digital only um, world? Sure. Um, I'll tell you two ways that come to mind immediately on how COVID has changed the conversation with the ladies that we talk to every day, the next community. The first one is there is sort of a crisis of culture with everyone all of a sudden working remotely and everyone busier than ever figuring out ways to keep your culture strong and to keep your, that family um, feeling of a company. That is one of the major topics. And then also, of course, keeping closings on track and keeping that process faster and handling all of the business that they have. Those two conversations we've heard probably more than any other. Would you say, Jerry, those are the two? Yeah, because, you know, in this environment, um, our executives are dealing with whether it's the executives that they're managing or on down the line a little bit further on. They're getting, they're dealing with these people getting hired away from them. 
everybody's encountering this. So, um, you know, how do you counter that? And again, that's a culture issue, you know, because if somebody's dangling, uh, you know, six figure carrot in front of someone, you know, I mean, that's going to be that's going to be difficult to contend with if you don't have something strong that that person's going to get. So we've had those conversations. I mean, you know, and then on, on our end, obviously the whole COVID thing is, you know, how, how to maintain the same, our culture um, when people aren't getting together. So, you know, we put a lot of thought into our virtual events. Um, you know, we, I mean, most people who have attended a next event realize that we, just getting it done is would be a failure for Molly and me. Like that's just like we 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 want it to be amazing. Anything less than amazing, we're feeling like oh my gosh, we 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 have to redo that. So you know that's always our goal. Um, you know we're really lucky because we know a lot of our um, the community, whether it's we just see them or whether we've had conversations with them or whether we talk to them all the time, and we really want to make this great for them. You know it's. This is one of the cool things about not being a gigantic institution, about being a small company where we really do, like we really do care about these, our attendees. We really do care about our sponsors. Like we wanna know, we don't wanna just, you know, great sponsor the event, we don't care and see you next time. We like, we really want them walking away saying, wow, we got a lot of value out of that. We really wanna be able to create an, create an environment where our, our lender executives can come together and and meet each other, even if it's virtually. Like we're always thinking, what can we do that's going to keep them connected? It's not enough to just throw some content out there and then hope they watch. You know, we want to make sure that they're watching it, that it's useful to them, that they're engaging, that there are other people who are going to be engaging with them. So we're we've been really we've been we've been really fortunate in that it's it's whatever we're doing is is working. So we actually have had feedback um, after our our first virtual event. We've had feedback like, wow, I actually made new friends here, you know, which is like online in chat. I mean, this is like. I mean, when was the last time you heard about somebody going into a chat room and like making new friends? Like, I mean, like maybe like in the days of AOL and the infancy of the internet, you know, right? I mean, I was going to say, maybe people do that, but not in a good way. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, not, exactly. Yeah, not in a mortgage event. <laughs> so yeah, we're excited. That's part of the thing that we've been working with, with COVID and keeping our culture strong as well. So it's been fun. Yeah, no, that's Cool. Um, and, and obviously, with all the changes and shifts that you guys have taken to support virtual, you're probably getting pretty good at it. You know, you guys just mentioned some specific things that, that you've seen that have been positive. Uh, any predictions for 2021 and beyond for your conferences? Do you envision you'll continue to be virtual for a while? And, and do virtual conferences have some sort of a future even after COVID? Well, you know, we love being on site and our attendees are dying to get back together again. I mean, even in um, before COVID, when, when we were having events all year long, we would hear, I mean, we've heard things like, oh my gosh, your event is on my bucket list of, of conferences. I'm like, wow, like I didn't even know that that existed. You know, I mean, you know, there are people who are dying to come to our event. They love it. So we want to Ultimately, we want to get back on site, but we also like the idea of virtual being able to reach so many more people because, my gosh, I mean, the attendance at our events is like crazy. I mean, it's, 
you know, I mean, we just like it exploded. So, you know, that's really nice too to be able to get more of a platform for, you know, for the executives who are speaking at our events. But Molly, Molly, you, you've got some ideas on doing, you know, how we would we would work that out with on-site and. Yeah, I think there's definitely a future for virtual events even after we can be on site because there are a lot of advantages, you know, reach and timeliness. Like you could, a topic could come up and you could be live talking about it that day if you want to. And so I think that there are some definite advantages, but I cannot wait to be back on site. We, um, we usually you know, wait about six months between each of our next events. But as soon as it is clear for takeoff, I imagine that Jerry will be (laughs) (laughs) chomping at the bit to be in person. Yeah, but I do think that virtual does have a place. I mean, people have gotten used to it. So, um, you know, I think that I think there's definitely a place for it. So during this, this time of you know, both, um, I, I won't even talk about the election, um, but you know, there's a lot going on right now. There's a lot of social upheaval. There's a lot of, you know, really complex issues and, and they seem to be kind of coming into the mortgage space in, in different ways. And, and I think with, with the, the two of you already thinking about how to get new voices being heard, you know, in, in the industry, I, I'd love to, you know, give you the chance to maybe make some Share your wisdom, you know, um, to to the folks listening about how should you know the mortgage industry be thinking about um, ensuring both that there's opportunities, you know, for their own team members, you know, um, you know, uh, to uh, uh, to have you know equal opportunities, but also how should folks be thinking about um, their, their, their customers and, and about, you know, really how to design their organizations in a way that is, uh, 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 I, I think directly counter, maybe counter some of the, 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 uh, the, the messaging going out right now and concerns, you know, that a lot of folks have uh, around the country. So at least from your, your own experience, you know, would, would love to hear your thoughts on that. I think we're at a point now where the studies on the ROI of diversity are clear. Um, There are rules in place to ensure investor return. There are diversity rules in place to ensure return. So money talks, especially in this industry. And I feel like now that those concepts are clear, um, people who hold on to outdated ideas about what this industry should look like are just going to be fewer and further between and retired. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think you have to make a decision. You know, like when we started next, we made a decision that we wanted to do things differently. So I think that, yes, I think that from the top, you know, that decision has to be made. It's not going to just magically happen. You know, we see a lot of really cool stuff um, going on. So, you know, like Molly was saying that you want to have, you want to have an environment that's going to, that's going to, that's going to do great things. That's going to, you know, produce more ROI and more specifically 
that's going to attract people that enjoy working, you know, that gives opportunity to, you know, where you feel like, wow, okay, this is, this is a really cool place to work, or maybe that supports the causes that make you feel good about working there. But, you know, we've, we were talking with, um, a couple, you know, with the, one of our lender executives. And one of the things that she's doing is um, she's part of an, an uh, of a group that like they're, they're fostering. She's saying that they want to start fostering um, knowledge of the mortgage industry among like high schoolers and stuff like that. Like, you know, like let's, let's, let's start getting people excited about being in this industry. Now with those kids, you've got to have a diverse you got to have a more diverse um, environment because that's how kids are growing up these days. I mean, this like this, you know, this like 1950s insurance salesman environment is not going to work for them. You know, this is like so I think that that's, um, you know, making a decision to create that type of an environment is really, really important. You know, maybe assigning like a, you know, having a task force and those types of things. We've we've talked to quite a few companies, quite a few lenders who are doing things like that, who have task forces and you know that are that are putting their plans into action. Well, Molly and Jerry, it's been so fun talking to you. We love your approach. We love the community that you've been building. Um, and yes, we are two men, and I am an aging white man. <laughs> I can still have great respect and excitement for what you guys are doing. If anything, it only uh, furthers my my support for what you guys are doing. So thank you so much for joining us and come back again. Thank, thank you for having yeah, us. Thanks a lot. Appreciate it. of honor <laughs> Danny boy, the pipes the pipes <laughs> i was wondering how long you were going to keep that going <laughs> i was expecting a full performance <laughs> <laughs>